0: hi everyone so I'm currently studying for all four of my law exams and I thought that I would make recordings as I study so I could listen back to these whether I'm at the gym or whatever so the first topic that I'm going to be covering is criminal law and under this subtopic I guess it's actus reus omissions so this is covered by part 8 of the crimes act and it goes from 150A to 157. So the four main categories that are covered in this course are the duty to provide necessaries and protect from injury relating to vulnerable adults that is section 151 then there is section 152 which is the duty of a parent or guardian to provide necessaries and protect from injury then there is the dangerous activity or thing section which is covered by section 155 to 156 and then there is the common law duty to um, mitigate harm or danger that you have created so there are four topics as I said and we will now just move on to a slight intro which is omissions really relates around a accused omitting to discharge or perform a legal duty so this is the duty to provide necessaries and protect from injury now the standard here is there must be a major departure which is the civil standard of negligence So it must be a major departure from the standard of care expected of a reasonable person to whom that duty applies. So this is quite specific, so it relates to the role of that person. So either a parent or a guardian of a vulnerable adult or a teacher, it's quite specific to that person. And it's just the failure to protect from injury and provide necessaries. Now, as I said, it was a major departure required, and this is an objective test which was provided for in the case of Hamer. So, just to note as well, this omission can form an unlawful act for to found, I guess the like different offences of manslaughter, homicide, those kind of things. So now moving on to the first kind of topic, I guess which is relating to the parent and child duty which is covered by section 152 of the Crimes Act so this requires two things firstly that the accused is a parent or in the place of a parent and second that the child is under 18 and is under the actual care and charge of the parent so actually that is like three things but I see it more as two so the case law regarding this. The first case is Lunt, and in that case, it was stated that an informal agreement can be a guardian role. So the obiter was that this um, a person can be in loco parentis, which means that you don't need an actual formal title if you are stepping in the place of a parent. You may be found to have owed this duty. In the case of Lalfau. Um, A child consenting to an omission does not excuse the parent from performing that duty. So in that case, a parent did not take the child back for cancer treatment after the diagnosis. In the case of Moorhead, denying non-invasive treatment is still a failure to provide necessaries. So in this case, it was the failure to... Um, provide a B12 vitamin to her own child due to religious reasons so in the case of Whitaker both parents had failed to protect from assault and it was unsure who had inflicted the actual harm however both were found guilty in the case of Kuka you need to prove that there was actual knowledge of the violence that led to the injury and if there was no knowledge, there was no requirement to protect from the injury. In this case it was also held that one can have two counts of manslaughter for the one death, as long as these two counts are based on different um, just different things. So in the case of Khan, it was held that if the accused is under abuse or control, it may not be reasonable that the the accused take protective steps as they themselves are under um, violence and in the case of Tuki Waho it was held that failure to provide um, safe sleeping conditions is a breach of the provision of providing necessaries. In the case of JF it was held that no injury is needed you just need a real risk and In this case it was the situation was a crashing car and the child was not provided a booster seat but however the child was not injured yet it was still found that there was an omission in this case and the accused was still guilty so now moving on to section 151 which relates to the vulnerable adult it requires three things Firstly, that there was actual care, so the vulnerable adult was in the actual care or control of the accused. Second, the vulnerable adult must be unable to provide for themselves. And thirdly, the vulnerable adult must be unable to withdraw from the care of the accused. So just to note, there is no overlap between section 151 and 152. As once you're over 18 you are considered a vulnerable adult instead of a child if you are vulnerable so moving on to case law in the case of Khan it was how that vulnerability can be temporary in the case of proud it was how that charge is a broad concept and it can encapsulate just attempts to even feed or cook for the vulnerable adult there's no requirement that there is a legal title of guardianship so long as this person has um, assumed that duty by their conduct. So, in the case of TAC-TAC, it was held that duty to, pro- to um, protect or provide necessaries for a vulnerable adult can, exchange- can extend to a stranger when the accused has voluntarily assumed care and has secluded the victim and has kind of isolated the victim In a way that no others can render aid. And in the case of Hamer, it was held that this case, this standard is objective. However, personal circumstances such as mental health may be considered alongside this objective test. However, it must make the accused incapable of appreciating the consequences of their acts. In the case of Rao, it was held that no duty is required to rescue a stranger or to warn of a fire of anything, if the person is a stranger. And in the case of Estan, it was held that causation in this case requires to accelerate death. So moving on to acts, dangerous acts and things. The case of Mayat held that this requires a risk to life, not just a risk to injury. And the standard of a professional applies. In the case of yoga sakaran, it was held that surgery is not an emergency and is not a defense that gives rise to an exception. In the case of Mawai it was held that HIV positive seminal fluid is a dangerous thing that imposes a duty on the person who does have this positive fluid and it requires a duty to warn or to mitigate risk. In the case of Vanner it was held that a quad bike is a dangerous thing, however one is able to get evidence from contemporaries to prove that that was not a major departure as the conduct was common practice amongst farmers. Relating to the common law duty, the case of Miller stated that there is a duty to mitigate um, a danger you have created, which was a fire in this case. There was a requirement to warn and even to put out the fire. In the case of Evans, it was held that relationship with the harm will require a duty. And in this case, the accused had supplied drugs to her own sister. And in the case of Wacker, it was held that um, closing an air vent assumed a duty to minimize danger to illegal immigrants in the truck that he was driving so that is omissions so now i'll be covering causation which is the second topic under the actus reus kind of bigger topic so causation is relevant whenever a consequence is part of the actus reus of an offence so this is an objective question of fact which is put to the jury so it will be a question for the jury whether the accused's act was a cause of the death or the harm now it is sufficient that the act accelerates death this is covered by section 164 of the crimes act now it is able to be found that there is more than one cause of death now this is covered by three different cases so first case is KUKA which found that two omissions can result in two counts of manslaughter and in Whitaker, it was held that a assault and an omission can form two counts of manslaughter this is provided that they are not substantially the same so in the case of kuka the two omissions one was the failure to provide necessaries and the other was the failure to protect from injury so these are two different substantial um causes in the case of painga it shows us that a two causes that are the same will not result in two counts of manslaughter So in this case, there was careless driving and then driving under the influence of alcohol, which are both driving offences, and therefore there was only one count of manslaughter. So moving on to the causation test to apply. There are two tests to apply in New Zealand. The first is the substantial and operative cause test. This was established in the case of Smith, but was applied in New Zealand in Myatt. Now a helpful kind of pre-test to apply is the Bartfall test which was um, established in the case of Hawkins and in this case this Bartfall test was used to kind of kind of screen out any extraneous causes such as the accused mother giving birth to the accused and yeah. So, in the case of Cato, it was held that the substantial and operative cause test can be just a not-minimal cause and operative cause. So, this was just for positive acts. However, this was rejected for omissions in the case of Kuka. Therefore, in the case of omissions, it must be a substantial and operative cause. For positive acts it can just be a not minimal and operative cause. So moving on to the second kind of test which is called the reasonable foreseeability test. This was established in the case of Tormas. So in this case it is kind of known as the flight and kind of fright self-preservation case kind of situation where the victim flees and ends up killing themselves so this would be. Jumping out of a window, jumping out of a car, fleeing down the stairs, and those kind of escape scenarios. So, in the case of Lucas, it was held that the actions of the defendant, which caused the deceased to flee, they actually must be the cause element there. So the defendant must cause the deceased to flee. Second, it needs to be the type of action that could be reasonably foreseeable by the reasonable person in the shoes of the defendant. Now, age is not factored into this as per Marjoram. So what is reasonable for the defendant to foresee is not affected by age. And then lastly, the act contributed is must be significant still so it just must not be insignificant to the death so in the case of Mackie it was held that the victim's response can be looked at reasonably and changed according to the age of the victim so if the victim was three years old, it would be what would be the reasonable reaction of a three year old. So, in the case of Paget, it was just held that the victim's response must be reasonable and the defendant can only be responsible for the victim's behavior that is reasonable. So, this is a question of fact for the jury. So Considering novus actus intervenion's doctrine, there are two lines of authority. Now, the first is that any act that comes after the defendant's acts are spent is a potential cause, however, it may not be. So, in the case of Vaughan, unless an act of the accused is spent, the deceased's does not break the chain of causation and this is further exemplified in the case of blah where a stab wound caused the victim to go to hospital and she refused a blood a blood transfusion which resulted in her death however it was still held that the stab wound was a substantial and operative cause so this whole entire first doctrine arm of the novus actus interveniens is supported by Turton. Now the second arm is the free and deliberate and informed act of the victim that breaks the chain of causation. So this is regardless of whether the accused acts are spent the uh, victim acts may break the the chain and intervene. This was established in the case of Ten Bomber and Li Tua, and essentially the acts of the the victim were found to have broken the the chain of causation and thus there was no causation and therefore no offense on behalf of the accused. Now, in the, um, in the kind of leading case of R and Kennedy, the accused had supplied a heroin injection and the victim had chose to inject himself. Now, in this case, it was held that there was a break in the chain of causation and that was it. So finally, in the case of Cheshire, a cause does not need to be the sole slash main cause however it needs to make the original cause insignificant therefore an act of a third party or the act of the victim himself may break the chain of causation and it does not need to be the sole or main cause However, it needs to overtake the previous cause as to render it insignificant. An example of this would be poor medical care, but this needs to be so substantially bad that it overtakes the original cause which got the victim in the circumstances. So that is causation. Just to add one thing to this causation topic that I forgot was the case of Hart where the victim was left unconscious after being assaulted on the beach and had later drowned. Now it was held in the court of appeal that the assault was still a substantial and operative cause of death and the tidal wave which was a supervening natural event did not break the chain of causation. However, it was held that if the defendant had left the victim higher up on the beach and there had been a freak tidal wave, this would have broken the chain of causation as it would not have been foreseeable.